Well, it was simpler times back then. I had a Game Boy. I loved the Game Boy. I had Tetris and Mario Land. I would play them all the time, but you couldn't play it too much because the batteries were always running out on those things. And they were expensive too. You know, you'd have the thing and the concept of getting constant batteries for your hobby was very new. So that wasn't a kind of a hobby you could really keep going for too long. That's David O'Reilly. He's an artist who works mostly in animation and video games. So the Game Boy was the start of it, and then skipped a bit later, I had a PlayStation 1, Resident Evil, and Final Fantasy 7. They were amazing games. They were huge and big for me, and like they were at that beautiful stage of early computer graphics. Both of them had actually pre-rendered backgrounds, like static backgrounds that were quite detailed, and then this 3D animated character in front of it. And there was something really compelling about that. And so I got really into those. There's huge gaps also within my sort of video game experience, but that's where it started. And this is where we start. I'm Liam Garrity. It's time to meet your maker. Hold on, I can get this. Up, up, left, right, A, B, B, down, A. Ha! When me and my friends were kids, we always wished someone would create a video game where you could just do anything you wanted. That there'd just be a whole world and you could go out into it and be whoever you wanted to be and do whatever you wanted to do. This was in the early 90s, so it wasn't really likely to happen, but it was definitely something we dreamt about. When Grand Theft Auto eventually came along and you had a whole city to explore, I felt that that was probably the closest we'd get to the game we'd always talked about. That is, until everything came along. Everything is the name of a video game where you get to play as, you've guessed it, everything. You could be a rock, a tree, a lion, a raspberry, a universe, a hydrogen atom, a blade of grass, pretty much anything you can think of, you can play as. It was created by David O'Reilly. I had wanted to do a project of that sort of scale and kind of universality for a while. David's path to making video games started when he created fictional video game sequences for the Spike Jones film Her. Remember that little sweary alien child that Joaquin Phoenix talks to? Do you know how to get out of here? I need to find my ship to get off this planet. Fuck you, shithead, fuckface, fuckhead. Okay, but do you know how to get out of here? Fuck you, shithead, fuckface. Get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> I think it's a test. Fuck you. Fuck you! Well, fuck you, little shit. <laughs> Follow me, fuckhead! <laughs> After that, David decided to make his first actual game. It was called Mountain, which he described as a mountain simulator, a relax up When we were making Mountain, which was a short production, maybe three or four months or something like that, I said, if this makes ever makes a penny... I'll spend all of it on the one after it. It was like a promise to the universe. I remember when Mountain was out, and it was out for about a month, I was fully broke. And it launched on the App Store and immediately went up to the top of the charts for the first week. And it eventually went on Steam and and sold a bunch there. When that was happening, I had this just insane... It was like kind of exciting. I'd never really made money from my own art projects before. And the world, usually, it's fucking hard to make a penny, especially with art. And so whenever you have a little boost from somewhere, you you sometimes have this like surplus 
feeling of gratefulness that's just so huge sometimes you're like i don't know who to thank i like i can't i would love to thank every person that bought a copy it was just a genuine feeling of like i owe something for this i got really lucky here you know i could have done other things or set up whatever gotten a bigger place or whatever it was but put it all into the the next project the next project was everything a video game about being you wander around the world as say a wolf until you meet a tree and then you become that tree and then you might become a taco truck or a whale and become them it's a reality simulation Well, the whole thing was a challenge. So I'd never, I was going into this uh, along with Damien. So Damien's my main collaborator on both these projects, and he's a programmer. Well, my name is now Damien Quartz, which is not what I'm credited as on the game, because I got married recently and we changed our last name. So formerly, I was Damien Difere, and I've been working in video games as a programmer for about 10 years. Damien had much more experience than me in games. He had been working in games for maybe a decade before. He had known the ropes a bit, but we were doing this thing basically as a team of two, core core team of two people, figuring out how to make a big PlayStation game, like a big console game. You know, it's also on PC and Mac, like a, just a, but a, a bigger scope game. It's very difficult in, in film. You know, you have short film and feature film. The lines are different the, the demarcation lines are different with games you have like mobile games and apps and indie games and triple a games and now you have the next generation of indie games which are much bigger so it's very hard to know how to chop these things up but nonetheless i knew it was something like okay it was g- going to be much bigger it was, it was going to be at least two hours of an experience that you would have and that it would be this sort of simulation of the universe but every every part of it was a challenge because e- you know even it just felt impossible to, to jump into something that big and to to be able to see it through Well, a lot of it is thinking about what needs to happen, and that comes out of design ideas that David writes up, and then usually we discuss, and so he'll be like, okay, well, I want these kinds of characters to move in this kind of way, and I'm going to make you a little animation file that you can use to make their movement go as they're like moving across the world. So then I have to be like, all right, well, how do we identify those kinds of characters so we know to apply that animation? How exactly is that animation applied? And then I sit and eventually write some code that tells the game, hey, when this kind of character is created, we're going to grab this animation from over here. We're going to play that animation when they're moving forward. We're going to stop playing it when they're not moving anymore. And we're going to do special things when they're turning or not. And this, all this kind of stuff essentially amounts to just like writing a bunch of rules that need to be followed or, you know, often expressed in terms of sort of mathematical type things like this character just moved forward. And so it's going to look at the ground underneath it and figure out like what the slope of the ground is. And it's going to rotate itself so that it matches the slope of the ground so that it looks like it's sticking to the ground properly and that sort of thing. So you build all this stuff, you start coding all of your things and all your ideas are getting added. Then you run it on a test PlayStation and it's incredibly slow. It's running at five or 10 frames per second because you have all these scripts running. So then you have to start pulling back. You have to start finding ways of getting the frame rate up from very, very low to at least 30 frames per second. It's a huge challenge. So there's a huge engineering component to it, which also feeds into other areas like design. You're trying to 
get this whole machine to run at a reasonable frame rate. So for people maybe not familiar, like a normal TV would be running at about 30 frames per second. Things look kind of smooth. In a game, every single frame of that, every second is say 30 or sometimes 60. It's constantly generating all of this information so it can update itself. So your controls or whatever you're doing has immediate feedback. That was a huge challenge. And it's a tough one too, because you're essentially looking at the same stuff but you're changing tons and tons of tiny knobs and all, all over the place just to get it to run smoother. The team grew like this. So it was myself... And Damien, we were prototyping, and then I hired El Michalka, who's an amazing concept artist, works on for a bunch of Cartoon Network things, and she's her work is amazing. And uh, just got her to do some paintings to kind of inspire us to kind of imagine what this uh, limited world would look like. My name is Eleanor Mahalka, or you could just call me Ellie. I'm a designer, I'm a painter, I've been working in the animation industry. Ellie was an art director on Steven Universe, and she's worked on a whole load of great cartoons, including the Powerpuff Girls, Gravity Falls, and She-Ra, and the Princesses of Power. I was approached by David because, just, just to do some initial, just research, so or, you know, research and development. So he wanted me to just do some paintings, not going too deep into the actual production of like how the things would look rendered in a computer but he wanted me to just explore the idea of a visual style and a visual language if you haven't seen or played the game like i said you can play as anything from an atom to a galaxy so in order to do that you kind of zoom in and out to different viewpoints say from the regular viewpoint as a human down to a honey i shrunk the kids type level with flowers and insects and you can go smaller and smaller becoming matter and particles but then you can go the opposite direction too. You can become whole land masses, planets, star systems. The scope is breathtaking. So we had several different locations. I guess I would call them locations. But it, it got kind of complicated because we had to do several different scales. We had like a planet scale, the landmass scale, the human scale, and then tiny objects. And then for each of those, we had to make different environment types. So green... We needed like a green world and a rock world and a sand world, ice world. I mean, some of this may have changed in the actual production of it, but this is all of the information he gave me. And so we knew that there would need to be certain consistencies in the design between scale levels. I started with human scale designing some green areas. So I did a lot of farmland stuff because he wanted it to be like rolling hills and, and kind of this like nice green feeling space. And so for me, I thought a lot about Grant Wood's work in particular. He was a painter and he did these just gorgeous, gorgeous landscapes. The best part about Grant Wood's work is I think his style of designing works really well for animation and game design in particular. He's from Iowa, so he was familiar with all of this rolling farmland and, and that's who I really drew the inspiration for, for these locations. So he, he kind of pioneered this stylized way of portraying the landscape so just in general like using things like that to to cheat to cheat the design of the landscape so it looks more complicated than it actually is
and then brought on Anne Yang, who helped with modeling. Uh, modeling is a huge thing for me because it's also design. Like, in other words, building these objects in 3D, it's a huge amount of them in the game. And sometimes I would have to search for things. There's lots of things in there I didn't know before making the game. And then in making it, I can recognize so many flowers now. Probably recognized about three types of flower before making it. And now it's probably 25 or something. Because there's so many, you know, you just need more variation. But then it's not enough to just paint a thing that has nice colors. You really, I really had to find the specific flower. And every object in the game has encyclopedia entry that you can read about the object. In the actual normal, like, sort of earth-based levels in it, there's nothing that's invented. It wasn't a a sort of top-down, this is how we're going to attack this. It was more like a gradient over two years that was just growing, this growing this library, filling out the worlds as they grew, and very organic process. And that's one of the other great things about when you're doing this stuff in an independent way, is that the project can change direction and be very flexible the entire length of its its run, of the actual production. When the project can get better as it's as you're going, it's a much more fun project than if you're you have this you know blueprint that you must stick to and you just rigidly stick to that for a length of time because you realize as you go as you make anything that this would be better or you know people respond more to this or we need to flag this or whatever it is it becomes a better thing by by iterating it by changing it as you go As we were developing it, I used to play this game with people. It was like, they would say, oh, do you have this? Hey, do you have this? Where's this? And, you know, it's funny. You know how we only use about two and a half thousand words or something in in regular speech? Most speech, you're using a tiny percentage of the actual, you know, what's in the dictionary. And it's the same way when we think of things... We're always kind of thinking of a limited number of them. Unless we see something directly in front of us that's very specific, it's very hard to just imagine a thing that's outside of your immediate environment. I remember thinking about this because I used, you know, I was a big comedy nerd as a teenager, and when you hear non sequiturs, or when people use something in a kind of an absurdist context or a non sequitur context, it's usually kind of predictable. Like people will pick usually an underwater animal or some some unusual creature that's not native to the thing. If you were living under the sea, you would also pick something way off on land or up some mountain or something. So anyway, I used to play that game, and if anybody mentioned something I didn't have, I just added in. I just kept adding and adding and adding and adding. But then at a certain point, you also have to reel that in because you realize that it's you know. Thinking of a thing is fine, and then you you have to find that reference and make that model, and you have to make sure it's correct, and it's it has the collision, it has its sound effects, and you have to test it, and you have to put it in level. There's many, many knock-on things of adding stuff. So at a certain point, I just had to reel it in. I'm very happy with what's in there. I don't have any bad feeling. In fact, I'm really glad that we got so much in. So my name is Eduardo Ortiz Frau. I am a sound designer for video games and I am based in Austin, Texas, originally from Puerto Rico. And then we had a sound design, Eduardo, who's fantastic. He was a very close part of it too because every object in the game can sing. So you have thousands of things that have a voice and that's just one part of it. You also have many atmospheres and, you know, sound design for every type of ecosystem and scale you're at in it and so on. It's a very complex system. So basically, a sound designer will, the easiest way to explain it is anything that's sound that's not music within a game or or a movie, that's kind of like what a sound designer would handle. 
Well, I didn't know, I didn't understand the scope of just like how many things there were until I was already involved. It was a challenge, but but it was still exciting. It was still exciting to do so many things, you know, like there, there's a lot of interesting aspects of this game in terms of, of the sound that I got excited about. The excitement carried me through the feeling of overwhelmness. Kind of like the process was I would pick a category and then just break the amount of work into chunks. And for a week, I would be working on vehicles. And that would be, you know, anything from a car to like a spaceship. You know, there, there was like all these categories that I could just break the, the work down and that made it easier for me to handle. Within those categories, there were a lot of objects that would have the same sound effect. It's like if we have like 20 cars, then I'll make like three variations of different cars. Those 20 cars will share those three variations of, you know, the different honks per se, or the different engine sounds. You know, part of, to me, part of the experience is discovering what things sound like. I really enjoy that when I, when I play the game, I really enjoy just like going through things and, and making them, you know, make a noise. So it's just like the balance between making sure everything's unique and making, but at the same time being realistic and knowing that you can't make 3000 sound effects, like, like unique, you know, sound effects. Some sounds are more challenging than others. Like some objects are, are just easier to, to be like, yeah, of course, this is what it's gonna sound like. And it's easy to get a recording or to make the recording myself. But there's other, there's other things that was just a challenge. It's like, all right, wh how do I make this talk? Because the idea is that it's not only that it makes a sound, it's that it's, it has to kind of like convey some sort of personality. So like there are things like toilet paper and like things like that where it's like, okay, uh, how do I make a toilet paper sound like it like it's like it's expressing itself? It's like some some sounds were expression, but not necessarily like me trying to put vocal cords to an object, but more like if it's wiggling, right? Then you may you might hear like a bit of a rattle of wood or something. But it's just like how do I make this sound? How do I make this object sound like it's like trying to express itself? <laughs> And then music, which was Ben Lucas Boysen and Sebastian Plano. The music happened all in Germany. They were in Germany doing it, and we did it uh, long distance. I'm Ben. Uh, my name is Ben Lucas Boysen, and I uh, record music and most of all write music. My name is Sebastian Plano, and I'm a... Uh let's say, multi-instrumentalist and composer. But mainly I play cello and piano. Everything was basically a collaboration between me and Ben Lucas Boysen, which is also a very good friend and composer, also living here in Berlin. And he actually got in touch with me because he wanted to collaborate on, on writing the score together for this video game. If you have a linear gameplay, where, where you're not necessarily being in an open world, but more of a like prescribed, let's say, Call of Duty, is relatively straightforward when it comes to storytelling. And I would imagine that would have that you could make a better plan scoring that than, than you could for any open world game. That's not only a problem of everything; it's also a problem of let's say 
uh, Fallout or Skyrim, like anything that that gives you a lot of freedom to move around, not only physically but also story-wise. That it depends much more on the situations you find yourself in. And in our case, we're happy that we uh, didn't really have that kind of storytelling to begin with because it's just a very meditative state you're in constantly. And in this particular case, it's very detached from any way of telling a story because there is no ranking system. There is no, no real narrative. So in a way, it is, it is the same state constantly if that makes any sense <laughs> so like like you you wake up as something and you are reincarnated as something else the next day and basically you're reliving certain things constantly but from a thousand different angles that is basically for me at least was the was the the opposite of a straightforward narrative in any kind of computer game david actually wanted one of the the approaches that he wanted for the for the soundtrack of the video game was the sound of strings so, so definitely adding cellos and strings to to the whole soundtrack was was one of the key points for the texture overall. And basically that's why Ben came to me to collaborate together, to have all these large instrumental and string textures to it. I was born in a musical family. So my dad is a violin player and my mom a viola player and my sister a violin player. So we are like a string quartet. <laughs> Basically, yeah. We used to play a few concerts in the past. <laughs> there are many challenges in writing a game just because it's, it's different from a motion picture in, in the fact that you have a, a story and you, you cannot change that story basically in the film, but it's completely the opposite when it comes to a video game because you have the ability to go wherever you want to go, depending on the game, of course. It has this flexibility, and that, that flexible approach has to be represented on the music as well. And particularly on this game, everything, that flexibility was huge, I would say, just because, I don't know if you have the chance to play it, Liam, but there is seven seven stages and and basically you go from one to another and each of the stages had a particularity in the music in how the music would sound and, and texture and, and general mood and so on i would say as far as challenges went that was a big one and also the large amount of music that we had to to write for the game which was 43 tracks a bit less than four hours of music in total. The creative part was really left to a very small team. And that was fantastic. And even David, I think he had like in the, throughout the entire thing, like two or three comments about what he, if something really bothered him or something he thought really didn't work. But generally he just trusted us really with doing our thing. And that that is absolutely priceless. Any director will get a lot of positive things back if he, if he puts that kind of trust in a composer that takes his work seriously. One of the first things which everybody should understand is that every creature in the universe that is in any way sensitive 
and in any manner of speaking conscious, regards itself as a human being. Uh, it knows and is aware of a hierarchy of beings above it and a hierarchy of beings below it. That is to say that wherever you are and whoever you are and whatever you are, you're in the middle. That's the game. So the game wasn't going to have narration for, for a long time. It was simply the systems at, at work. As you progress through the game, every so often you hear recordings of talks given by the philosopher Alan Watts. Alan Watts is a great philosopher, one of the few thinkers that I would approach and, and feel like he, he, he talking about these ideas with such unbelievable clarity and humor. And So I love the material. It started by simply I just reached out to his son. I found an email address on a very old website and I said I'll give this a shot. And I said, I'm making a video game and just want to open up the possibility of using your father's work. I think from that moment, it took over a year of we were backing and forth and I was sending stuff. And I think, you know, the, the material hadn't been used in a game before. And this was all kind of new. Normally, Alan Watts' work is licensed in very short quantities. Sometimes it'll be 15 seconds or 30 seconds here. And they're very careful about where it's used. It took a long time. But essentially, it was great because I got to know his son, who's a wonderful guy, Mark Watts, who really cares about the material, who worked with, with his dad when he, when he was alive. Alan Watts died in 1974. But while he was alive, did actually record a lot of the material himself with the microphone. It's also material that, you know, I felt it wouldn't be something I would just sort of stick on to a weak project. This was something that I felt was completely aligned. It just seemed to fit perfectly. Your senses extend a certain direction, in all directions, and therefore give you the impression of being in the middle. Because the definition of a person is where you look from. Now, everything in the world feels like that. And also it has its own kind. You see uh, spiders and uh, hydras and sea urchins and so on, don't look very natural to us. We say, well, I wouldn't want to look like that. But they say when they see us, uh, well, what kind of an awful thing is that? And what a lot of nonsense it does. Over 400 hours of recorded Alan Watts material, the game uses, I think, less than a percent of it. It's very specific to what the game itself is, is talking about, which is essentially things, how they're related. I like the idea that it's very closely aligned to kind of like a nature documentary. Yes. Yeah, I, I really felt the same myself. In fact, one of the ways, because one of the things you have to do when you make anything is figure out a short way of talking about it, a short one-line thing, and it's it's an awful thing to do. Generally speaking, when you make a thing, you're a little bit idealistic. You hope that you don't have to tell people anything. But anyway, nonetheless, it's a sort of necessary thing to have a synopsis. And one of the things I was thinking of for a long time for this was a, was a, a playable nature documentary. And I really like that because nature documentaries might be my favorite type of film. I think they're the most beautiful things and like the most, in a way, unegotistical type of moving image you can see. It's just you're just looking at the earth and hearing it described and, you know, things. There's not a lot of editorializing, you know, and I think also when you see animals or other living things doing stuff, you're able to reflect on what, what people are like or how similar it all is and stuff like that. So I love nature documentaries, but it's not completely accurate because in a way, so it's describing, so nature documentary describes the, let's say, the appearance and behaviors of things that it's showing. This is showing you the basic version of the appearances and behavior 
behaviors of the of the universe, but it's talking about the mind. It's sort of a nature documentary of the mind. And I think of Alan Watts as kind of a David Attenborough of, of the mind. And that's tall order. You know, I think I have a lot of respect for both of those guys and, and, and how they talk and, and their philosophy and so but in a way there's a kind of an inversion there. That's interesting. After years of hard work, everything was released. I've been very proud of the work that I've done in the past, but with this project, it felt like I was just invested in a different level. So it felt like, you know, when it, when release came, I actually felt affected, you know, emotionally about it. Like I, I needed rest from it. It's kind of awe-inspiring in a way that it's not just one person's idea. It's really cool to see how people, when they get together, how something can end up. Because coming from a fine art background, you know, you're kind of used to, well, this is the painting I made, and this is how it will always be, and it won't be changed. But I do like the changeable nature of how animation works because everyone's all in it together, and everyone's trying to get to the certain goal. And so you do make compromises, and you do shift things around, and you do change your, your own unique vision based on what benefits the whole. And I think that's really cool, and I think it, it's a beautiful tie-in to the theme of the game. In a lot of ways, it's more of just like a toy that you can explore and play around with. It doesn't ask a lot from you in terms of like, well, you got to go from point A to point B, and then you got to find this thing, and then you got to do this and that. Like, what you are doing at any given time is often just up to the whim of whoever is playing. The game is not really forcing you to do any particular thing, but it does as you go through and you unlock the various abilities, like it does give you a lot of things you could be doing, you know, and so there's a lot of room for someone to be like, I wonder what it looks like if I, you know, go find a bunch of pigs and then make them dance. Then that's your goal and you're doing it. I I really like the game. I think it's like a very beautiful experience. More than a game. For me, it's an experience to, to play the game. Just because you don't know, have a, you don't have anything to do. Just be, you know, <laughs> and that makes it more of an experience. And then on top is like, all of a sudden I hear this cello sounding. I'm like, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, oh, like just adding a, a little grain of sand there to the whole project. It feels, it feels nice. It feels. You know, all these days closed up in a room practicing the cello, <laughs> pays off. <laughs> Russian teachers and so on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The entire game is about codependency and interdependencies and how things depend on each other to become better in a way or just to evolve, basically sometimes just to exist. And that's what we try to basically put directly into practice by working together on that. Because there are things and, and themes and songs that I could not have done without Sebastian. And there were other songs that, songs that were already existing before and uh, trying to combine them and come up with variations. And this codependency, it was actually lived codependencies. It was beautiful. Yeah, very beautiful. For me, it's like all absurdism and humor is just so much part of life you can't just say i'm going to make a game about the universe and it's going to be very solemn and quiet and you know holy no it's like it's full of you know we're full of we're all you know in our own playing our own weird games and trying to do this or you're trying to 
people are trying to get one up on one another and like everything in nature is involved in crazy trick playing trying to play tricks on each other just to just to survive and you know it's very funny being alive and that's inseparable from the majesty of of life itself and you know the glory and awe of of existence like all of that's that's great okay but it's also all kind of a joke too and those things are very inseparable for me all of those things are basically part of life and when you're making a game that's about life capital l the big thing you can't just remove that because people are used to talking about life in a more serious context we are certainly because you know our relationship to our churches is is very much like this is all strict and it's catholic and you know, you'd be quiet in church and all of that stuff. We're not used to have, you know, but and then we go to the pub and laugh about life. But to me, you can have both and both are part of it. Everything is available on PlayStation, PC and Mac and is now available on Nintendo Switch too. Meet Your Maker is produced and hosted by me, Liam Garrity. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music in this episode was by Ben Lucas Boyson and Sebastian Plano from the soundtrack of everything. I'm off to roam the desert as a pebble. See you in two weeks. <laughs>